0: they totally got carried away. Um, yeah, you can hand those out now. We're this time for our offering, and today's offering is going towards our local church budget. And our local church, as I just shared, um, has many ministries to try to reach the city. And you know, I'll tell you about one of the ministries that we have. Is that um, on Wednesday at twelve thirty, we offer a free Bible study and a free lunch um, in the city behind the Immigration Museum on the fortnightly Wednesdays. And we put that on the Meetup web, uh, website. And we've had people come. And this is a service that we provide to the city to share um, God's love, to share the truths that we find in the Bible. And so right now we're going to the book of Acts together. Excuse me. So we provide free lunch. And so... The offering that you provide today goes towards ministries such as that where we get to um, serve the community. And so thank you for giving. Um, If you want to, you can also give online. There's an e-giving website um, and app that you can utilize to give as well. So thank you very much, boys, for helping with the offering. And if you could take it to the back. Thank you.
1: Well, good morning. Happy Sabbath. The, uh, the young ones are still learning how to gather the uh, offering together. I know mo- some of you got hit up multiple times. <laughs> we'll see what happens when uh, when Joshua learns as well. <laughs> you get hit up three times. <laughs> um, yeah, we hope that you can join us um, this afternoon for the picnic. Um, just a little edit on the directions. When you step out of 500 Con Street, take a left. As opposed to a right. If you take a right, you'll end up in Docklands. So <laughs> go left, and then we'll we'll see that. Anyway, you guys all have phones; it'll be fine. Okay. Um, so today we're going to be um, covering a topic that's called "I learn." I've learned enough about Jesus. I've learned enough about Jesus, and I, I realize this uh, this title can seem a little bit controversial. But as we read through the passage. Um, for today or today's scripture uh, you'll realize why that title has been chosen before we start i'm just going to invite you to join me for one more word of prayer father god as we open your word and as we read um, hebrews chapter six together i just pray that you would minister to our hearts that you would give us encouragement that you would help us to experience hope in our lives and um, may we be able to mature in you as a result of that we pray this in your name amen So there's an article in the Huffington Post um, that was called 25 Signs to Maturity. Um, And the article basically states that maturity is not so much about age, but it's about character traits. And so I've kind of selected just like the top 10 from this list, and I thought we would read through it together. And um, I found that it it gave some interesting insights into maturity. And uh, yeah, I just thought it would be an interesting little bit to read through together. So here's the first thing. The first sign to maturity is listening more and talking less. The second one is not taking everything personally or getting easily offended or feeling the need to defend, prove, or make excuses for yourself. Number three, having forgiveness and compassion for yourself and others. Four, being calm and peaceful, not desperate, frantic, or irrational. Five, doing good deeds even when there is nothing in it for you other than knowing you helped being selfless. The next one, respecting another's point of view, beliefs, and way of life without judgment, not insisting you are right, belittling another, or using profanity or violence to get your point across. I read that and I felt very convicted as a parent in terms of like the whole like B- losing your temper type of thing um, Not so much the uh, profanity thing But uh, anyway <laughs> your like, How do you raise your son? What goes on behind closed doors? Anyway <laughs> The next one Finding joy in the success of someone else Not envy or criticism Knowing there is always room to grow And improve and reaching out for help Recognizing that which does not work in your life And making an effort to do something different And finally passing up instant gratification in favor of long-term benefits. So that's a sum, or that's like an abbreviated list of Huffington Post's signs to maturity. The author of Hebrews talks about maturity in a controversial way. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, and I'm going to invite you to keep your hands in this chapter as we're going to refer back to it several times, Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to read through the first three verses together. Hebrews is close to the back of the book of the uh, back of the Bible. For those of you who have the white Bibles in front of you, it's uh, page nine hundred and sixty-seven. Page nine hundred and sixty-seven. Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to read the first three verses together. Here's how the verse reads. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Now, when you think about what the author here is saying, he's saying something so interesting to me he's saying hey move on from jesus we've learned enough about him And when I think about that, I kind of ask myself the question, how can you ever learn enough about Jesus? But the way that he defines maturity is by moving on from the basic teachings of Christ. And here's how he defines them. He talks about dead works or religious activity that doesn't build us up. It's not edifying. He says, move on from washings, these ceremonial traditions. And the New Living Translation uses the word baptisms. He says move on from doctrinal teachings like the state of the dead or judgment. He says move on from those things. We've learned enough. So my question is this, what more can someone learn when it comes to the spiritual journey? Cuz he's highlighted some important important aspects of the of Christian growth. If you look at verse 9, we're going to see what the author is talking about. In verse 9, he says We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. And what's going to happen is from verse 11 to 20, he's going to make a list. And I want to highlight some of those things. If we look at verse 11, and I'm just going to jump around here. but Verse 11, it says, Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Now, in other translations, this is summarized by saying um, the author of Hebrews is saying live in hope, live in hope. Verse 12. If you read verse 12, I'm just going to summarize it for you. He says that hope invigorates the heart. Hope leads to a resilience and endurance. Hope brings about patience. See, hope in this verse is. or excuse me, he defines hope in a specific way in this verse. He says that hope is this belief that circumstances will get better. It's not just like this wish or this idea, maybe something might happen. It's this actual conviction that's based on the active presence of God bringing about good in your life. It's a conviction that God's will in God's time will come to pass. If not in this life, than in the in eternity future. The author then gives the example of Abraham from verses 13 to 15 as an example of what it means to live in hope. See, uh, as, as a way of, of um, reviewing the story of Abraham and Sarah, these two individuals were old, they're past the time of fertility, and God gives them this impossible promise of progeny. And when you read through the story of Abraham and Sarah, you really see them struggling with this promise. God kind of comes to these two individuals and he says, the two of you are going to have a child and I'm going to bless the whole world through your family. Well, how can one even have a family if you don't even start with one? And so Abraham and Sarah, they try and they try and they try. And no matter what happened or excuse me, regardless of how much time passes by and no matter how many times they try, they're still infertile. And so Sarah comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, we've tried. Why don't you just marry my maidservant Hagar? And maybe that's what God means through that promise. Well, that wasn't what God intended. And um, basically they step kind of out of line of what God actually intended. And so Abraham marries Hagar. They have a child and it creates all these family problems. Time passes by and their family goes to Egypt. And the Egyptians see Sarah, and the Bible says that she's this beautiful woman. And as they're walking through the streets of Egypt, someone from the palace asks, who is this woman? And Abraham responds, she's my sister. And the the difficulty here is, well, excuse me, Abraham responds, she's my sister because he's afraid for his life. And Pharaoh calls for Sarah, and he brings her to his palace. And and the point here is, how can Abraham and Sarah have children if Sarah belongs to another man? And so Abraham really struggles with this promise. And this repeatedly happens through the course of their life. And through a series of circumstances, God guides their family on this journey. And eventually, Abraham and Sarah have this son, Isaac. And so here, Paul, the author of Hebrews, gives them as an example. And he says, Abraham and Sarah stayed with god regardless of how difficult it was regardless of how many mistakes they made they they made an intentional decision god we're going to hope and trust in you and as a result they experience the promise of isaac now for me the most amazing um climax of the story is when isaac comes it develops this degree of maturity in abraham and sarah they realize we were not faithful but God is faithful. And so when they are tested, that one event causes Abraham to then act out in faith. So in this story, God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And that's this is the story or this is a picture that depicts depicts that story. When God asks Abraham to then sacrifice Isaac, Abraham steps out in faith because he knows God is faithful. So even if I sacrifice my son, I know that the fulfillment of God's promise is going to take place. And in his mind, when you read this, when you read the story, Abraham thinks, even if I sacrifice him, God can raise him from the dead. This is incredible, incredible faith. If we move on to verses 18 and 19, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Paul summarizes this point by saying, So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So at the end of the chapter, Paul uses some Old Testament references to communicate an important truth. He says, there is a way that the same way that Abraham and Sarah had this hope, we too can have this anchor of hope. And that anchor of hope is found in the fact that Jesus acts as our high priest. Now in the Old Testament, the high priest had a specific, specific role. And his job was to go into the very presence of God into the sanctuary, into the most holy place, and act as a mediator. He would act as a negotiator. And basically, his job was to plead for the forgiveness of Israel. Now, in Hebrews, the author says that Jesus is a better high priest. In the very next chapter, in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 to 25, it says, There were many priests under the old system. For death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. Jesus' purpose in life is to plead to God on our behalf. I'm curious. Do you have an agenda? Do you have a daily agenda, a weekly agenda? Do you have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan? I have, uh, I have certain goals. I have certain agendas in my life. You know, stay fit, eat healthy, save up some money. I have some work projects that I'd like to get off the ground. I'd like to spend time with my family. I have different goals that I have. I'd like to develop in my life. But when I read this verse, it says something incredible. It says that Jesus has one agenda, one agenda only. And his purpose, the thing that consumes his life, is to intercede to God for your behalf or on your behalf. He is pleading for mercy, so we'll get to be with him for eternity. That truth is the anchor of our hope. The more we fixate on what Christ is doing, the less we have to live in despair. The more we fixate on what Jesus is doing, the less we have to worry about what we have done. The more we fixate on what Jesus thinks about us, the less we have to worry about what other people think about us. The more we fixate on what Jesus is doing in the present, the less we have to worry about what our lives will be like in the future. The author of Hebrews encourages us to place our hope in Jesus place our hope in what he is doing and we will mature in chapter 6 the author of Hebrews highlights a specific pitfall that can happen in this journey with Christ as we seek to mature going back to verse 1 so let us stop going over the basic teaching about Christ again and again Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. See, from our study of Hebrews chapter 6, maturity is living in the mercy of God. It's allowing the promises of salvation to influence our lives. So from this verse, we can actually define immaturity. If maturity is living in mercy, then immaturity is fixating on information about Jesus when there's an unwillingness to encounter the power of Jesus. I'll say that one more time. Immaturity is fixating on information about Jesus when there's an unwillingness to encounter the power of Jesus. When I read the news, there are different articles that highlight Christianity and oftentimes, Christianity is quick to defend its, che- its teachings and its beliefs, but practices immaturity by neglecting the giving and receiving of mercy that is found in Christ. And I find that there's this very human reality. When we face difficulty, when we are face-to-face with our own selfishness, when we face our own personal failure, it becomes difficult to give and receive mercy. When what is right becomes difficulty, the tendency then is to redirect that attention to something else. And in our case, it happens to be truth, doctrine, information about God. And I realize that's probably why there are so many angry Christians who are so passionate about defending truth, but not so passionate about giving love. So when it comes to Christianity's reputation outside of the church, we're often more known for what we believe in as opposed to what we do. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but most of the services that are provided to um, the lower uh, people who have needs are run by Christian, uh, are run by Christian organizations here in Australia. There's a, um, there's a building on King Street, and basically they service troubled youth. Anyone who's under the age of 18 can walk into this f- facility. They can find housing. They can find mentoring. They can find support. And I was talking to one of the um, volunteers there as, as I was flicking through the pamphlet. And I said, hey, it's really interesting that the Baptist Church sponsors this, um, sponsors this service. And he says, yeah, it's really interesting. The majority of social services provided here in Australia um, are run by Christian organizations. And I just thought, this is not in the news. And I just find that's really interesting. Here in Hebrews chapter 6, the author encourages us to experience more. Now, don't get me wrong. The truths about Jesus are important. They build the foundation for what Jesus does. And these two ideas are not to be separated. But the tendency is to fixate on truth rather than experiencing the implications of that truth. So the author of Hebrews says, there is more. There is more. There is mercy, and growth and maturity happens in that atmosphere. There's an example of a church that struggles with accepting mercy in the Bible. Um, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For those of you who have the White Bibles, it's page 992 page 992. And I'm just going to read through the passage and I'll share some thoughts on it. Revelation chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 14 to 21. And this is the message to the church of Laodicea. In the beginning of the book of Revelation, God sends this angel with these messages to the different churches in Asia Minor. And basically, each church struggles with something different. And this particular church has a very unique scenario or very unique uh, circumstance that um, I think is very applicable to Christianity today. So starting from verse 14. The message to the church in Laodicea. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like the lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Now, this letter has been read many, many, many times in churches, and especially in Adventist churches, because um, you know a lot of our uh, historical teaching kind of shows the parallels between this message to the Church of Laodicea and this end time church that we live in uh, today. And when I reflect upon this. Letter, I kind of asked myself the question what's the biggest challenge that the church of Laodicea faces? What's the biggest problem that they face? And when you read through this letter, there are a lot of rebukes that are given to this church. But when I read about this actual letter, I find the biggest problem that this church faces is that Jesus is on the outside of the church. That Jesus is on the outside of the church. When you read through the imagery, he's outside knocking. Can I come in? And it sounds almost comical at first glance, but the reality is that there is this church that doesn't possess the presence of Jesus. And he's asking, can I come in and fill this place? Can I come in and fill this house? This church faces this problem, and the question is, what does it mean for this church to open the door? What does it mean for this church to allow Jesus to step into this Uh, to step into that place and become uh, and fill that place with his presence notice there are a few conditions or spiritual conditions that are highlighted number one the laodiceans are unaware of their true spiritual state they say we're um they say we have need of nothing we are wealthy we're clothed we're fine but the rebuke is you're poor blind and naked you know there's this interesting state of affairs when people are not able to receive mercy there i find there are two um two main challenges one challenge of receiving mercy is when you don't feel like you you deserve it when one feels like how can i ask for mercy when i know that i'm just going to keep making mistakes the other challenge of accepting mercy is when you don't feel like you need it i'm good i'm all right i'm fine the way that i am And here in this particular case, it more highlights uh, the church of Laodicea's inability to understand their own spiritual nature. They feel like we don't need the mercy. Notice here, the angel says to them, you need to buy from Jesus gold tried in the fire. You need to buy from Jesus eye salve. You need to buy from Jesus uh, garments to cover yourself. My question is this, if the church is poor, blind, and naked, how can they buy anything from Jesus? How can they buy such valuable things when they possess nothing? And herein lies that message of mercy. See, Jesus is the only person who will buy, who will take your bad things and give you good things. He'll allow us to buy his good things with our bad things. He'll take our selfishness he'll take our pride, he'll take our anger, he'll take our immaturity, and he'll give us righteousness. He'll give us the ability to see spiritual things clearly. He'll give us the ability to have strength and endurance to overcome difficult trials. Jesus is the one person who will take our bad things and give us good things. See, when the church of Laodicea experiences mercy, when they are willing to experience mercy, that's when the door opens and Jesus says, I'll step in. And there's this incredible, incredible promise or this, this metaphor, if you will. He says, I will feed you. Now, the idea of food is really important in the Bible. And not even in Bible, but even in society. See, community revolves around meals. When you eat together, or there's that saying, the family that eats together stays together. There's something incredibly important about mealtime. Mealtime is, a, is the moment where you share with each other what's going on in your life. It's a time where you encourage one another. It's a time where you physically minister to one another, where you build each other up. And Jesus is saying, open up the door. Allow me to come in to give you mercy. And in this passage, it says, eat with me. But the reality is he's saying, I will feed you. I will feed you. If you go back to Hebrews, where we were before. I want to look at one final verse or one final passage. It's Hebrews chapter 5. And Hebrews chapter 5 gives context to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. Or excuse me, verse um, 11. I'm just going to jump around and summarize this. But it starts out with Paul saying, There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. And he's saying, There is something that's going to lead to your spiritual growth. Moving on to verse 13. Or excuse me, uh, middle of verse 12. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. There is this food that is given that allows people to mature. And here in Revelation 3, Jesus is saying, Let me feed you with solid food. So that you can grow in grace, that you can grow in mercy, that you can know the difference between right and wrong. And that's really the context of Hebrews 5 and 6. And so the culminating point is live in mercy. It's really interesting the way that they kind of communicated back in the day because it's very, it's very, uh, the tone is very disciplinary. Right? Usually when you communicate, live in mercy, you're, you kind of communicate, that's okay, Like you can make it, I'm here for you. But here the author is like, live in mercy, you baby. <laughs> it's really weird of communicating that. But when you read the context of it, that's actually what he's saying. The word and the tone are two different things. And so for you today, God knows what you're going through, I don't know what you're going through. You may be facing difficulty. You may be facing, facing trial and hardship. You may be faced with the difficulty that others are placing upon you, or you may be facing the difficulty of your own failures. And the point is, the point here is this. There is an atmosphere of hope and mercy that God desires to give you that's founded on the fact that Jesus is doing everything that he possibly can so that you will make it an eternity, not just in the future, but you can Experience eternity in the present in your life as you Reflect upon what that mercy means for you personally. I hope that'll give you hope and strength and courage for your week to come May God bless you Will you join me for prayer? Father God as we consider your word as we consider your promises it's my prayer that we would be able to have our, hope or have our hope be in you, that you would be our anchor, that in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of all that we face in our lives, may we come to know just how good you are. And may it help us grow and mature in love for one another, for you, and for the community around us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, um, we have a time of discussion uh, where uh, we call this next segment of our church service, uh, The Exchange, and it's where we get to exchange our ideas with one another. There are questions that are written out that have to do with uh, the talk that has just been given, and there's also some nibbles, and this allows us a chance to really explore this topic a little bit more to learn from one another and there are also some nibbles where you can just eat some food and uh not starve before lunchtime and so uh, we hope that you can join us for the exchange Uh, as usual we have children's sabbath school here uh, in the boardroom next to us Um, there will be a two-minute timer that's going to go off and then you're going to hear uh Jin Ha's lovely voice and she's going to say it's time for discussion (laughs) so we're just we ask that you would move on to the next segment and uh, that'll give uh, the rest of us a chance to go and teach our different uh, different classes and uh, we can also progress the the rest of the program so we hope that you can join us for the exchange.